We are so glad you could join us. I'm Lauren. I'm Katie. We're your hosts. This podcast is nothing more than a friendly conversation, sharing life stories and trying to make sense of growth, healing and the journey home. But today, rather than two voices, you'll be hearing three. We've invited a guest on today's episode for a chat. It's Adam Lawrence, Heart Radio presenter, who also lends a hand to editing this podcast. We'll be chatting to him about staying strong when facing challenges and how he looks after his mental health. Maybe you'll relate to some of the things we discuss. Maybe you'll pick something up from what we've learned along the way. We hope you feel part of the conversation and inspired to reflect on your own journey too. This is your invitation to connect with us. Welcome to Chrysalis Connection. Hi, Adam. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. Welcome to Chrysalis Connection. It's really nice to be here. Um, although here is on Zoom at the moment, isn't it? Because we're all in three separate countries, three different countries. <laughs> yes, we are. We're making it work. So I guess, yeah, welcome to the uh, recording part of the episode. Usually you're on the other end. Yeah, that's true, actually. I suppose um, I'm not usually... <laughs> I'm not usually used to being a guest on a podcast or a radio show, etc. So, um, yeah, it feels a little different, actually, I have to say. Adam, just to, so the listeners get to know you a little bit, you are a radio presenter on Heart. How long have you been there now? So I've been working for Global, who are the head company of Heart and Capital and LBC and stations like that in the UK for um, just over four years now. And um, I present on Heart mainly, but also um, their sister station Capital as well. And I'm probably the best way to describe my job is a radio supply teacher. <laughs> <laughs> I've done various, I've done various different jobs um, across the four and a half years I've been, I've been at Global, and including reading the travel, even producing a couple of shifts along the way. Um, and I had my own drive time show in Gloucestershire in the United Kingdom, which um, was the four until seven pm slot. I've done weekend shows as well. And um, now after some changes, I, I'm the cover guy. So I cover people's holidays or if they're off, if they're sick, etc. So that's me. Yeah. I also heard a rumour that you are the youngest radio presenter. Well, I believe I'm the youngest to present on Heart at the moment, mm -hmm. currently. But mm, certainly not the youngest in the UK working, working in radio or presenting on the radio, I guess. But yeah, it's um, it was it was a massive shock when I got given my first contract at age eighteen. Still had my braces on, and and I've just been enjoying the journey ever since. To be honest, how did you get into radio presenting then? If you started at eighteen, you got your first contract at eighteen. Like how how did the journey begin? It began in my bedroom about I'd say eight years before that. So I was about I was about ten years old when I got given a, a digital camera for Christmas. At the time, I was really interested in making stop frame animation videos with my Lego. So to give you a clue as to how young I was. So I would... Do you have, have any of those to uh, share with us? What, the stop frame animation? <laughs> Maybe in private, I'd love to see those. I'd love to dig them out as well, actually. I'm not sure where they are. They must be on a hard drive or a USB stick somewhere. Mm. But so I would do that and I would, you know, take a photo of the Lego, move the Lego a bit and, and create films like that. And then I was like, well, what else can I do with this camera? I'd always loved music. I'd always loved listening to the radio. I think if you ask a lot of people in radio where their journey began in radio, where their love began from radio, it's just listening to it and thinking, well, that is that that is super cool. That's the job I want to have when I grow up. But also these people that present on the radio, I can think of plenty of people 
that are that are there they're just they're your friend when you're growing up they are it's such a it's such an intimate medium radio tv is tv is great as well and tv serves an entirely different purpose but radio you can you can listen to whilst you're in the car obviously it's probably the most popular one you can listen to whilst you're doing diy jobs around the house and out on a walk i suppose now podcasts have kind of entered that market as well on the other end of the spectrum you've got spotify so podcasts Mm. and spotify kind of come together to form radio music and speech and I just think it's so intimate it's it's so lovely because you're not with tv you're kind of shown everything and often like tv studios are made to look great from you know three specific angles whereas with radio yeah you can do all like fancy effects with your with your voice or you know music or background music or things like that entirely you know different pieces of audio but you as the listener as the consumer are left to paint a picture I think it's quite beautiful how we can use our imagination like that. Yeah, that's such a lovely metaphor. I I always say that about reading too, is that you're much more of an active participant because you're not just receiving what someone else wants you to do. You're given 50% of it and the other half is in your head. It's what you make of it. And that's why I I love reading so much. And for the same reason, podcasts is that, yeah, you feel like you're really invited to be there rather than just sort of observe from from your sofa like with tv yeah so true and like i said tv serves a purpose it's it's great in the evenings for when we want to switch off or you know it's a great form of escapism and when you're in the cinema watching a 3d movie or something it's probably the the highest form of escapism but we all have to have a certain amount of power um not in a not in a narcissistic way but we just we like to have power we like to have choice and to yeah you're right to be given 50 percent and then to imagine the other 50%, everyone listening to one radio program has got an entirely different vision as to how that is presented, how it, how that's making them feel, what that's making them, you know, look look for, listen out for, even smell, etc. And it kind of, what I like about radio as well is um, that I can think back to where I first heard a song or where I first heard like a sketch on the radio and listening to it 10 years later I can imagine you know 13 year old me listening in my bedroom or listening perhaps on a journey to the beach with my parents driving me there I love that the more we work our way through life we can remember anecdotes etc which you don't really get with tv as much yeah so maybe now is a good time to tell listeners that um you're actually my brother yes (laughs) (laughs) spoiler Um, alert (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and you're my younger brother so I I can really relate to everything that you're you're sharing I remember watching it and hearing it through the wall as you were recording those little shows on a poptastic fm the first ever one yeah that was my um that was my radio station my my fake radio station that I that I created the at the one. age of about 12 and I at the time I sort of stole the branding uh, I don't actually know I don't want to say I stole the branding but I <laughs> I was obsessed borrowed. with like, I was, yeah, exactly. I borrowed. So I was obsessed with um, like, you know, all the big radio brands. And at the time, because I grew up in Somerset, at the time, Orchard FM was the big station. So I got the Orchard FM logo and um, blacked out where it said Orchard FM and then put like my, the station that I'd created that name on there. So it was Poptastic FM with the same logo. And, you know, I'm surprised that I, even as an 11 year old, 12 year old boy, they didn't come after me for copyright. But but it, it was quite nice, nice that you're inspired by it. Yeah, I really was. And what's quite nice is that um, there have been loads of changes in the radio industry in the UK, but also around the world in the last decade, as there have been with technology. You know, it's, we were looking at a um, 
an iPhone 10 years ago that could barely do anything. So technology's changed and there's been quite a lot of uh, changes in local radio. We've seen sort of local radio disappear more as, you know, we look to Google Maps and BBC News apps on our phone instead of getting that from the radio. So there have been some changes which I've had friends that have uh, lost out on and things have changed for me as well. But you can't fight it because that is the way the world is going and we need to we need to evolve. Yeah. We can't stand still. And um, Orchard FM became Heart, who I now work for. So no uh, way. Yeah, so the, ra- the radio station that I used to listen to in the morning, I used to listen to Ian and Laura sometimes in the morning on Orchard FM. That got swallowed up into Bristol, came out of Bristol, the breakfast show. And I have covered that breakfast show um, a couple of times. <laughs> wow. No way. Yeah. I don't think we actually knew that bit, that link. Yeah. I'm me. I'm sitting here with my mouth open. It's like, I should know this. Yeah, it's quite lovely. And, and that's, now, that's now a national product. So that's now um, Heart Breakfast that comes from London. But also, um, I used to, because I'm a, a self-confessed radio geek, I used to listen to Heart, uh, well, Orchard FM as it was, Kiss from Bristol and Radio 1 when I was mm-hmm. an 11-year-old boy. And um, I remember on the on the school run with, with Dad, because Dad worked at um, the secondary school I went to, I got the choice of radio station. And sometimes I'd listen to Kiss, and the guys that did the breakfast show back then were a duo called Matt and Caroline. And in 2016, I went to intern on Matt and Caroline's breakfast show when they moved to Heart. And Matt is now like one of my best mates. Wow. So things like that are really lovely. <laughs> but yeah, it's quite nice to sit back and look at how lovely it is, really. And I, I just see it as, I just see it that as just lovely. That shows how much like you've been in the flow with it. And like, I'm hearing this thinking that you, you've manifested this. I was just about to say exactly the same thing. Wow. <laughs> yeah. That's really amazing. I didn't actually know all of those little details. Yeah. So bre- what breakfast show, Matt? Yeah, breakfast show, Matt. Oh my gosh. Like, I know <laughs> that's actually name, breakfast show, Matt. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's how I know him. So that's amazing. Manifesting. With quite a lot of my radio friends, Katie sort of knows as like, like nicknames like that, like, you know, <laughs> Vic from the breakfast one of them show. Is referred to as your minder. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. One of, He's great. That'd be my friend. That'd be my friend, Josh, who um, kind of got me the internship at, at Heart back in 2016. And I, wow. I think if I have, you know, a handful of people to thank for where I am in radio and just, you know, not not, not just the, the, the job or the position I have, but just how happy I am in life. I think Josh yeah. is high up there for really helping me get onto the career ladder, I think. And again, now one of my best mates. Oh, big shout out to Josh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and Pickle. Oh, Josh is gone. Ah, Pickle. okay. Uh, I have I've seen photos <laughs> it's so nice to hear how animated you are when you talk about this I mean obviously like it, you know it's part of the day job but it it just yeah just to hear the happiness in your voice is really really lovely yeah I'll admit that when I'm at my happiest it is really in a radio studio you know doing things like that obviously my family and friends make me really happy in, in an entirely different way but my first love really was radio I'm not I'm not ashamed to say <laughs> <laughs> It's actually one of our questions was going to be what makes you feel alive? What sets your soul on fire? But I think mm, you just answered yeah. it. <laughs> Honestly, I think I think that would have to be it. Yeah. So moving on, then we'd like to ask you what some of your biggest challenges have been. Oh, biggest challenges. Well, I'll try. I'll try and start chronologically. I would I would say that I wasn't perhaps the most well behaved child 
<laughs> I think Katie, my my big sister, will agree with it. I think looking back, I I think looking back, I was pretty frustrated going through the education system, and like you can't fight it. And I was like, why do I have to go to school, etc. And you know, we obviously need an education, but I I was just frustrated. I just wanted to do radio. You know, ever since sort of coming out of um, primary school, age eleven, twelve, I I'd, mm. I'd had this love of radio that's what I wanted to do I didn't want to be stuck in a history class etc but I was <laughs> and then when I was uh you know when I was in college and started doing more community radio because I between bedroom radio and um and ending up working for heart I volunteered so many hours at three different community radio stations and you know I didn't get paid for this at all I used to I used to stay at community radio stations until eight nine o'clock at night on a Thursday night do my show and then do some do some work for the whole station and then get the last bus home I'd get the first bus in the next morning sometime to go and help out on like a real you know a really local breakfast show holding the microphones or you know being in the studio the one that was pressing all the buttons and I loved it kind of missed the magic of um you know before I got before I got to earn a living doing what I love, I kind of missed that magic of um, climbing the ladder and waking up with a buzz. And I didn't mind that I wasn't getting paid. It's, you know, I had a weekend job for, for getting paid, which I hated because I wanted to be elsewhere. But yeah, I loved it. You've worked like for a pe- for paid jobs like since quite a young age though. I mean, you started with quite a difficult paper round um, that you do every morning before school in the rain. That was one job I said that I would never do. Like a paper round. All of my uh, siblings did it. And I was like, I refuse to do a paper round. So I was like, it's rubbish money. You're out in the rain. And I ended up being a postwoman. So (laughs) 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 later on, so maybe the universe got me back. But yeah, to be dedicated enough to do that. Yeah, it was tough, actually. I I, I did a paper round for two years. Many people that I know have done it for a lot longer than that. I did a paper round Monday to Saturday. Uh, So Monday to Friday was on the bike with with my fluorescent bag. And then Saturday was with the fluorescent trolley. But the, the first week that I started, one of the people at the news agents was sort of following, well, I was following him around town, learning the, learning the route. And on Friday, he was like, right, we'll see you tomorrow then. And I was like, what? Like, I thought, it, I thought they had like weekday paper boys and then weekend paper boys or, you know, paper <laughs> girls, et cetera. I was like, what? No, that's, that's not true. And I thought it was one of these like initiation things that, you know, at jobs. <laughs> and they'd see me turn up on Saturday and, and be like, you know, oh, you know. What's you, he doing? You fell for it. But no, they were totally legit and honest. And yeah, it was Saturday as well. I remember how angry you were about this. Really? I was. I, I was. Really you were so annoyed. <laughs> I just thought it was really weird. Like, you know, why well, work six days and then have someone to do one day? I just I don't know. Yeah. And so a lot of people, when they find out about your career path, are quite surprised that you didn't follow, I guess, what some, what a lot of people are expected to do with the sort of uni route. How have you sort of dealt with, you know, people asking you stuff like that? Or was that never something you considered? I've always been someone that has planned the next stages of my life, I guess, and looked sort of two steps ahead not one so when when I was at school I knew which you know A levels I wanted to do and in the end I never ended up doing A levels I did an A level equivalent intensive course in media uh, mainly TV and film and advertising but radio as well and then when I was at college I thought I wanted to go to the University of Westminster actually which is I think holds the one of the best radio courses 
you know, for a degree in the country. And I was like, this is where I want to go. You know, it's in London next to all the big radio stations, etc. And then I started to get some contacts through community radio and was offered an internship. And I thought, well, this internship is only three months. And I think about life after that, you know, I don't have to go to university this year. And then I guess I fell into that and really grafted at the internship and, you know, did some did some producer shifts and did some presented demos and took them around to the big bosses, these demos. And I got lucky, I think. I still to this day believe that I got lucky because um, the route that I took, because of changes that I've mentioned a couple of minutes ago in the radio industry, that doesn't exist now. So if I'd gone to university for three years, I would probably be you know, in my second year of university now, and this wouldn't be a route that's available anymore. So I'm really grateful for the contacts that I made to enable me to get this internship, which I loved. I absolutely loved. I used to work at a service station on the motorway at WH Smith every Saturday and Sunday. And then three days in the week, I'd do an internship. And most people, you know, they hate Mondays and they love Fridays and they love the weekend. They live for the weekend. I was dreading Friday night, Saturday morning, going into work. And I was on Sunday, I was like, oh, I can't wait to start the week. Cause I was, I was doing my, my crappy job at the weekend and just loving being an intern at heart in Exeter in the week. Is that where your love of service stations came from? <laughs> I do. I do have a love of service stations. <laughs> I, do. I don't have a love of working in a service station, but I do have a fascination with service stations. <laughs> It is quite amazing, really, that you you can you know so much about the M M four M five service stations. I mean, you always say if you went on Mastermind, it would be your specialist topic. It re- honestly, it really would be my specialist topic. It's um don't know why, but I just I just take an interest in things like that. I used to love playing with like Lego petrol stations when I was young and things like that. And I I don't know, I'm just I'm just obsessed with brands and things like that. So yeah, amazing. So Adam, as you know, the name of the podcast is Chrysalis Connection. So what have been some chrysalis periods during your life so far? I think I can think of two. The first one would be, I mean, a chrysalis is kind of like a what a safe place that you emerge from and change maybe for mm. the better, I guess. I, I think it's going to sound probably getting out of the education system. um probably getting out of you know getting out of college and just and just being 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 told what to do and set assignments to well Mm. to moving into a a professional radio capacity and being told what to do I don't don't mind being told what to do in that way but I just just loved working in the real world um and that honestly is when I when I sort of really found my my path in life I think or I found the path that I'd been dreaming of for years really so I think yeah sort of the year of 2016 when I left college and there were some really good times at college and and went to um intern at heart and then got given my first contract in the October of that year I think that was just incredible really I was as surprised as everyone else I guess because I was quite young but I think that would be my my first chrysalis I'm I'm curious how your mental health I imagine it improved like as a as a result I'm curious how that was for you then did things improve mentally yeah, definitely. I I just mentioned about struggling with being set assignments, etc. I don't think I really understood a lot of, you know, examination work or assignment work, etc. Whereas if it was in a like a professional capacity in the real world, I could do it. So I think that 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 cleared up my head quite a bit. And also mm. just the motivation to wanting to better myself every single week I'd have in radio um you know you do a radio show or you produce a radio show and you 
quite often listen back to that radio show or those travel bulletins or talk about, you know, if you're a producer, managing that talent with your boss. And uh, so I used to listen back to my radio shows with a couple of different bosses. And I just used to have a, an appetite for wanting to have this feedback. I used to, I used to uh, write so many notes on like, you know, or my Google Docs is full of old notes of radio shows where and they tell me, you know, what went well, etc. And it'd be even better if I did this, etc. And I just wanted to develop and better myself and learn as quickly as possible which is something which is something I did I rarely wanted to do I think at school and college obviously I wanted to get you know good grades I think who doesn't really want to do well in their exams or assignments but just didn't have the same appetite for it or I guess maybe because it was something that wasn't really connected to your purpose the criticism was just so much harsher Whereas when you feel like it's really constructive and that, okay, yeah, it is criticism. It's not always easy to hear, but I know that it's helping me reach my purpose or sort of walk that path in life, that you're more comfortable hearing it or more ready to accept it. Yeah, I never minded ever getting criticism or, you know, constructive feedback or or even get even being told something just wasn't good in in radio, really, because I I knew that, you know, that had to come and I, I really wasn't perfect. I really wasn't perfect and I hadn't actually done that many live radio shows for a while and uh, until I did my first live radio show at heart I get quite nervous at situations where I feel like I can do something wrong or mess up and I can't tell you how nervous I was for my first show my first professional paid radio show in 2016 I was just I was so nervous it wasn't good I still haven't been able to listen back to it. Really? Yeah, I probably should. I probably should now, to be honest, and just sit around with a a couple of mates of mine from the industry and laugh about it. But yeah, so, so nervous because I felt like I was kind of out of my depth as well. But I just equally, I'd been grafting for the opportunity and I wanted to, I wanted to prove myself. Did you ever feel imposter syndrome? So that's this feeling of I'm not qualified to be here. I'm not good enough to be here. They're going to find out that I'm a fake what am I doing here? Yeah, definitely. Laura and I yeah. Talk about it a lot. We both experience it in <laughs> yeah. our jobs. <laughs> yeah, now you now you say that. Yeah. But I think, you know, the arts, I guess, is a is an industry where you don't always have to have the qualifications and do everything by the book. If you can do the job, I think I think you have as much right to be there as anyone. Mm-hmm. I think it's strange for me because you seem like such a natural. Like I've heard some of your, the things that you do on Instagram and, you know, adverts and stuff that you've shared with us, your voiceovers and things like that. And you just seem like such a natural, like you have the voice for it. You can talk about anything. You have such a gift. So, you know, to hear that you, you really did put the work in as well, it's, it's really inspiring. Oh, thank you, Laura. That's, that's kind of you to You're say. I, w- I would say that if that comes across, that's great. That's, that's, my, that's <laughs> my intended aim. But so much hard work of, you know, grafting for years, listening to other people's feedback, but listening to other people doing what you're doing. Like, you, you know, you two both teach. I'm, sh- I'm sure you look at other teachers and uh, mm. teaching methods online. I listen to so much radio every single week to try and and it's never you never want to steal ideas from people but if you hear someone doing something one way you might not go on the radio and do that the same way you might think how would I have done that differently and then you've added another skill to your to your resume so it's it's always about taking inspiration from and not and not copying from but also I'm a massive perfectionist in not in things like tidying the house but in my in my work in my professional work I prep I spend 
three hours prepping a three hour radio show. And a lot of that, most of that is stuff I don't control, like, you know, the music that obviously commercial radio stations get told to play and, and rightly so get picked for them because you're presenting on a on a radio brand that is skewed at a certain demographic. So you need to play the right songs for that demographic. A lot of the time as radio presenters, we get asked if we pick the music. Now, on some radio shows you do, but working in commercial radio, very, very rarely because it's a product. It, it's a product that as you know, people, music planners, music schedulers do that work. They get people that are the target demographic in a room and they ask them what songs they like so they can play the correct music to boost their listening figures and uh, and make more money at the end of the day. Yeah, oh, interesting. I've always wondered how that works because <laughs> you kind of it switch through radio stations. I mean, I don't listen to the radio so much anymore because of Spotify and podcasts and things like that. I can... You know, I've made my own radio station with my own favourite songs on on Spotify. Yeah. But it's interesting yeah. to hear sort of how they do pick the music. And I think that's good as, as well. I like I like the fact that Spotify and, and Apple Music and YouTube let you do that. Yeah. Because, you know, you know, you know best. And we weren't, you know, 20 years ago, we weren't in a position to pick our favourite music, really. It was more played on the radio. Mm. But I think radio still has a place in obviously, you know, providing that company. But also sometimes the general public don't want to pick songs. They're happy just being played songs but I think it's great how things like that exist I think both things exist rather I think just following on from that I think we have so much choice these days even too much that we kind yes. of get decision fatigue yeah so for me when I'm tired I will stick radio one on when I don't want to make another decision and I don't really want to listen to a really sort of insightful profound podcast because I feel I have to pay too much attention like when yeah. I just want to switch off and I need that company like I'm home alone that is something I will stick on. So I think it still has its part in that we also need a rest sometimes. Yeah. You know, not all content we hear needs to be, you know, expanding our minds and like helping us grow as people. Like we also just need to relax. Yeah. Mm. I may get told which songs to play and other DJs may be able to pick, but at the end of the day, you know, your your job as a as a presenter is to is to sell the music to the audience as if it's a product. So, you know, it's our jobs in a way to listen to to listen to all these new songs or even say things about old songs and really make the audience want to hear it or turn it up in their kitchen or, you know, dance to in the car, etc. So as much as Spotify can throw up songs that are new and songs that you may like based on your previous plays, a DJ might be able to say, you know, if you like this band and this band, it's a blend of the two. You're going to enjoy this, etc. And I think that kind of human touch is always going to be important oh definitely I'm a creature of habit so I mean I do listen to a lot of the same music I do sometimes I kind of think oh I should change my playlist or you know what's current what's new what's out because obviously living in a foreign country as well I'm completely out of touch with what's out in the charts in England um so I'm probably missing out on on a lot of yeah new music because I really, I really search for it. I have no um, idea. I discover music that is new to me it might be years old but it's the yeah. first time I've heard it so I feel like I'm always surrounded by things that are new to me, but I don't really follow, I guess, like what's popular. My tastes have changed a lot as I've got older and started different hobbies and things. My taste has really evolved. So moving on. Well, you did mention a second Chrysalis moment. Ah, yeah. I, I did, yeah. So um, a couple of years ago, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. So it's basically a, a chronic medical condition. I'm not, I'm not a scientist. I can't, can't think of the best way to describe it. But basically, your body 
Uh, it's an autoimmune condition, so you might become ill with a cold and your body attacks itself rather than attacking the thing that it should be uh, at that moment. And uh, so basically your body makes a mistake. And in my case, I don't produce any insulin, um, which is made from the beta cells in the pancreas. I hope I got that right. I think I've got that right. I'm not reading anything as well. So yeah, so I don't produce any insulin and insulin is the hormone that you need to break down carbohydrates from food. And most foods have carbohydrates and we need them to survive into energy. Basically talks to the red blood cells and makes your blood less sugary and controls your blood sugar. You need insulin to live. So instead of, you know, my body producing it, I, or type one diabetics have to either inject it through cartridge in a, in a pen with a needle on the end, or you can have, I'm sure many people have heard of insulin pumps, which is the same kind of method, but there's some cabling, which insulin infuses into your body at a certain rate, or you can actually have a, an insulin pump pump now which is like a sort of a small box i would describe it as a box about as big as the size of a box of airpods the the apple earphones which is like stuck on your skin for a few days and then that has got like a special cannula in which infuses insulin into you but yeah we have to inject insulin to match uh, the food that we have so common misconception is that type 1 diabetics can't have donuts that's certainly not true because i had two yesterday um <laughs> and um we just have to match the food with it with the insulin so if i have if i have a sandwich from like a you know like a meal deal sandwich i'll have maybe three or four units of insulin and everyone that is type 1 diabetic their body is different um so they may have one unit or seven units for that sandwich but i know my sort of my balances and my ratios whereas for for something like an evening meal or maybe a pizza going out i'll have a lot more units of insulin it's totally dependent on the food and we have to control our blood sugars as well so i'm sure most people have heard of the term low blood sugar but don't maybe know a lot about it everyone can get low blood sugar if we if we wake up in the morning and don't eat or you know fast people can get low blood sugar if they're you know playing sport etc they can get low blood sugar as well and um, high blood sugar is also a thing as well so being a type 1 diabetic i would say is like <laughs> sometimes walking a tightrope between staying above low and below high in the blood sugar category how does this affect you mentally that's a really good question it, it uh, the short answer is it does affect me mentally and the slightly more complex answer is that in different ways it affects me mentally and at different points i found over i found over the last year that so i've been type 1 diabetic for 2 years now that exercise can massively help me lead a healthier life in terms of keeping my blood sugar steady so that you know if i have that donut or whatever you know i may go high or higher for a couple of hours but I won't go sky high. So steady blood sugars is really what you want to achieve as a type one diabetic. And sometimes you just, your body just sort of doesn't play ball with you, I guess. And sometimes, you know, you'll, you'll have high blood sugars for a few days, which, you know, in extreme cases, you can end up in hospital with, I did when I was diagnosed, because there are signs that you've developed or you've got type one diabetes. Most are well, the most common ones are that you lose a lot of weight. I lost a third of my body weight in six months. I lost 25 to 30 kilograms in six months, which was pretty scary. You drink more, more fluid, usually water. So I think I was probably drinking, you know, something like 10 litres a day, 
maybe even more at, at the peak of it. And then because of that, you obviously go to the toilet more. And there are other side effects as well, or other sort of symptoms, I guess. Like I used to get quite bad pins and needles in the morning, quite bad cramps when I was in bed about 5am. Uh, that was a couple of weeks before they, you know, they diagnosed me and they found type 1 diabetes. So all of those things can happen if you've got really high blood sugar, but often you just feel really, really tired. Like, you know, fatigue, chronic fatigue, if you go really mm-hmm. high. In the moment, high blood sugar isn't as dangerous as low blood sugar, which again, you know, you can end up in hospital from as well. And in very, very severe cases, people have just not recovered from them and unfortunately passed away. But that's, you know, that's very, very severe. And that'd be pretty unlucky to do that. And, it, you know, it motivates you to look after yourself more. Yeah. But yeah, so if I have low blood sugar, I have to have sweets. <laughs> Um, I have to have fast acting glucose to bring my blood sugar up. As my cousin once said, he said, you've hacked it, Cars. He said, you've, you've actually got a medical condition where you have to have sweets. <laughs> Which is... We can imagine him saying it. Yeah, he was being totally tongue in cheek. But um, yeah, it's... it's uh, He's actually our next guest on the podcast. So oh, listen, listen next week to hear him. I did wonder whether you were going to do his accent. <laughs> yeah no he's Australian so uh well Australian accent so um no I can't do I can't do the accent justice but I can hear him saying it in my head um yeah sometimes when you've got too. when you've got low blood sugar you don't want to have sweets I mean often your body is craving glucose because it's starved of it so you know you'll literally run around looking for orange juice is good to have sweets any kind of anything with a high sugar content because it gets to your gets to your bloodstream quicker but sometimes, you know, you're, you're going to bed and you may be a bit low and you brush your teeth and, uh, you know, you've got your night guarding or whatever. And you just just don't want to have um, a carton of orange juice. You just want to go to sleep. Who wants orange juice after you've brushed your teeth exactly. as well? That's like one of the exactly. worst combination tastes in the world. Yeah, really disgusting. So quite often it's, you know, gummy sweets me or something. But, you know, I don't I have to see them your as medicine now. Pigs. Yeah, I have. MS Percy Pigs are the bedside drawer. Percy Pigs on him. Yeah. Literally, he's got his his nightstand is full of like cartons of apple juice and um yeah. and like Percy Pigs. Full fat Coke is also a good one to have. Obviously, it's not it's not the healthiest thing in the world. And if I ever have Coke with a meal or when I'm out, I always have zero sugar Coke. But full fat Coke is really, really effective at getting into your bloodstream quickly. Now, obviously, it kind of says a lot. If it helps a type 1 diabetic out with a, we call them hypos, with, with a low blood sugar event, then, you know, it says a lot about how sugary it really is, which is quite scary. Like, it's like medicine to me. Like, the top drawer of my fridge is is all sort of mini cans of Coke with a certain amount of sugar in. Going back to um, when, when you were diagnosed, because you said how for about at least six months before that, you were really, really ill. How much of a relief was it when you got diagnosed or when did that relief come for you if it wasn't initially I think it really was almost initially because I was just glad that I was I mean I was so scared about the future you know when diabetes is mentioned it's quite often people get the wrong end of the stick and think about you know maybe the wrong type of diabetes or how you can get complications from diabetes and not just live with it because it is a condition that you really can live with so I was obviously worried about that and didn't know a lot about it. But I was just glad I'd had other medical problems. Like, you know, losing a third of your body weight isn't normal, isn't good. And I, you know, as much as I'd always been a bit of a podgy teenager, perhaps a bit of a, a bit of a late bloomer in, in developing as a teenager. I was loving being pretty skinny. I literally had no muscle on me. So because 
you know, it, your body looks for sugar and sometimes sugar is stored in muscles and fat. So it literally rips all that muscle and fat off you, which is how you lose the weight. It was so bizarre. I remember coming home that summer and hugging you and thinking, where's my brother gone? Like you were literally like half of you. Yeah, I was. I really was. It was weird because people were complimenting you. Like, oh, well done on losing the weight, Adam. But you were like, I'm not doing anything. Like I don't, it was kind of disconcerting in a way. Yeah. And I was just sort of, I wouldn't say I was loving the attention, but I, I'd never had compliments like that. So I was quite sort of flattered to get them. I'd not been going to the gym or really eating that well, probably eating far worse, to be honest, to sort of, you know. I knew you by name and order in McDonald's. Yeah. So. <laughs> well, that's because I'm very friendly, not because I go in there often. <laughs> <laughs> no, um, no, I was. And um, yeah, I'd, I'd quit the gym and people were saying, you know, where's all this weight gone? And if I was some of those people, and obviously they were, you know, they were, they were just saying it as like a passing comment. If I saw the same in someone else now, I'd, I'd be concerned. Yeah. Of course, it could be, it could be many things, but yeah, I'd, I'd be concerned and ask them to, you know, go and get a blood test, et cetera, because mm. that's one of the quickest ways to determine that you might have, you know, you might have type one diabetes because a lot of people lose a lot of weight but yeah I would like I said I had other medical issues as well which helped me get into the doctor's surgery to get diagnosed with with type 1 diabetes so I would say it was a bit of a relief and I took it seriously very early on I think I was 20 when I was diagnosed and I'd say between sort of 7 and 12 is probably the most common it can be referred to as juvenile diabetes can't it? yeah it can yeah yeah ah. um it can often be referred to as, as juvenile diabetes mainly because it happens young but you know i've i did a i did a, an education program recently with a few people and most of them are over 50 and have been diagnosed you know in the last couple of years so it can happen really to anyone that's not to say that everyone should be worried about it yeah so um i'd say i, I took to looking after myself pretty quickly I wasn't in denial at all but I wanted to show diabetes who was boss if you know what I mean <laughs> and to and to live with it well I still want to and I want to get healthier and healthier what have been some lifestyle changes that you've made then following your diagnosis it's a really good question actually and it's one which I've not been asked much at all I'd say snacking basically gone you can you know you can learn to sort of have some snacks whilst you know injecting your insulin but I, I don't snack I'd say that I exercise more now I want to know my limits I want to learn about my body more learn about myself more I mentioned earlier about how um, you know achieving steady blood sugars is is the aim and I, I walk a lot now I've been you know this year has obviously been a different year to, to many in so many different ways but I've been cycling a lot this year and walking a lot this year cycling less in the winter but walking a lot, I try and aim for my 10,000 steps a day, every single day, or at least an average across the week. And I find that it really helps my blood sugars maintain, you know, a, a steady level. Obviously, I do have low blood sugars sometimes when I'm out walking and I'm always carrying glucose, etc. But I find that I have to take less insulin, almost half as much insulin than if I was to just lie around on the sofa all day and, you know, drive everywhere and not get up a bit earlier, et cetera. So you really learn what makes, what makes you tick, et cetera. Mm, that's amazing that there's such a difference between doing exercise and how much better it is. Well, obviously exercise is good for well, everyone, but yeah, having to yeah. take more from sitting on the sofa and not doing anything. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I have to inject a certain amount of insulin for every single carbohydrate that I eat and most foods have carbohydrate in mm. and also I'm I've 
follow a plant-based diet things that don't have carbohydrate in would be eggs and most cheese steak and chicken and i don't eat any of those so my, my foods mainly have carbohydrates in but i have noticed that sometimes i will um go on a walk and have have i don't know like a if i go up to town to do some shopping i might get a, a vegan sausage roll and i've noticed that if i have that and then walk home i don't have to have any insulin for it because your blood sugar levels drop when you exercise. So I'm literally burning off, as well as burning off the calories of that sausage roll, I'm burning off, it's a bit difficult to explain. I, I guess I'm burning off the carb amount, the, the carbohydrate yeah. amount, because you know it kind of builds me up. If you imagine sort of going up a mountain with your blood sugar levels, yeah. and then instead of dropping, you kind of just maintain steady. So it does make total sense, actually. Yeah. <laughs> if, you're, if you're moving, then yeah, you obviously using all that energy oh that's really cool it's amazing what the uh, what the human body is actually capable of even with things like this I wanted to ask you about self-esteem and body image as you're actually our first male guest okay yeah and I guess that diabetes has been a way for you to get to know your body differently um, and that's something we're we're both really passionate about not just for women but but for all listeners really yeah is promoting self-acceptance when it comes to body image so I wondered if you had any thoughts on this that you'd like to share I would say for me, I've mentioned that I was a bit of a late developer as a teenager and I was also, you know, on the podgy side as well, I'd say. And when I lost all 30 kilograms, all of the weight, when I was, I guess, becoming type 1 diabetic, I didn't look good then either. You know, I find it difficult to look back at photos where I, you know, I was, I was getting on with life then. I was sort of trying to, I was trying to do well in my job. I I went to a few functions that year where obviously I've got some photos from I just don't like looking back at them because I was too skinny but then you know after I decided to have some insulin again I was putting on a bit more weight but like a healthy amount I wouldn't say that I wouldn't go as far as to say like I liked the way I looked but I was I was happy with the way I looked and I developed into a man from a boy that I was you know I suppose a year previously so I would say that in a way type 1 diabetes <laughs> kind of came at the came at the right time and and helped me out with a bit of confidence in a really weird way. It, it had, or it had, it, it had at the time, and it, it sometimes does shatter my confidence in many other ways. But actually, it's, it's not been the worst thing. It's kind of made me who I am today. Mm. And I guess acceptance of that fact is only going to make you more yourself and happier in the process. Yeah, absolutely. I, there's still a lot of work to do, and you know, I was doing quite well at the gym in January and February, and then you know, there were, I think in January I went to the gym pretty much every single day, which is probably a bit, probably a bit obsessive. And I, I'm like that, you know. I'll, I mentioned that I cycled a lot of lockdown this year, and I got obsessive over that, and now I'm walking, and I'm getting quite obsessive over that. I have those phases, but it's, I'm, I'm not sure if it's that unhealthy. I just really get into it. Are you kind of an all or nothing person? Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, you've always sort of had these like tendencies to, you know, towards really sort of fixating on something and like being all in when you're on it, like during that phase. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's good to have that phase where, you know, you obsess over something and in a good way as well. It's not a, it's not a bad obsession. You know, I obsess over it in, in a positive way, but to just maybe scale back down on that and introduce it in your life in a healthy way, you know, and maybe not every single day, but doing a mixture of cycling walking and gym anyway yeah so at the beginning of the year I I was going to the gym a lot and then obviously the current pandemic situation happened and I haven't really wanted to go back to the gym since then mainly because I'd like to be outside quite a lot yeah still got a long way to go 
to work on my body image, I think, but I'm sort of fifty percent happy. <laughs> more than that, yeah. actually, I'd say more. Yeah, more than a glass half full. It's really good to hear. I know what my final question will be, but Lauren, do you have any? I do have one final question for you, Adam. Maybe a bit more of a light-hearted one. What surprises you that other people find difficult? Oh, that's really t- that's really tricky. Even if you gave me a few hours to think about that, I'm not sure if I'd be able to answer it. <laughs> it's difficult I guess this question is a is a different way of asking you what comes naturally to you yeah as in what do you find easy that you you've never had to think about like it just comes naturally it's just a different way of asking that question from a different perspective okay I'd say and this is probably going to be no surprise to the two of you or anyone listening if they made it through um, this far in the podcast I don't really struggle with talking I knew you were going to say that. <laughs> I, I, and this is similar to my answer as well. <laughs> yeah, I'd say that I, I can, I can. Sometimes I struggle because I sometimes I feel anxious in front of certain people or big groups of people. Mm. There was a scenario recently where I struggled to talk in front of quite a lot of people. But yeah, I'd say that I'm. I wouldn't say I'm always the talker in the room, but I, yeah, I like talking to people. I, I, I will chat yeah. to. I will chat to random people in the supermarket if you know you just look at each other and think oh we're just going to chat aren't we like I will I've talked to lovely old ladies at bus stops before and you know I actually used to get the bus to college and there used to be a guy there you know a a pensioner there and we used to chat every morning so I'd say that I'm I'm quite often that person (laughs) and like yesterday I was buying something in Morrison's and I overheard this conversation between two builders talking about football talking about you know a game that was on later that day and like we just started talking about you know a very very quick few word conversation just started talking about the um like fantasy football league um which is a like a kind of a game in England based on the Premier League and like they were like are you a Liverpool fan yeah and I was like yeah and they were like good good man (laughs) and um (laughs) you know I always sort of love just being friendly to people really I think friendliness makes the world go round. I totally agree with you. That's something I really miss um, from being in England, actually. One of my hobbies was going shopping later in the evening when it was a bit quieter and just, or at lunchtime sometimes, and just randomly speaking to like the older people because I think they just, they don't really care so much and they'll just chat away to anyone. Mm. Was he here not, still not speaking the language? It's a bit more difficult to do. You may feel a bit nostalgic. <laughs> oh, that's nice. I, I, quite often though, I, I've got my earphones in. I can't hear anything else and I, I like time on my own yeah I love being around people maybe I'm quite rare in the fact that I love being around people but I'm really good at spending time on my own mm. I think because you've always had things to uh, like keep yourself occupied with yeah like you know you're ha- you've always sort of enjoyed like I don't know we Lauren and I talk about enjoy being in our own heads yeah I do like, it's a nice yeah, place to be we, we've got things Sometimes, to think yeah. about we have conversations <laughs> yeah. with ourselves yeah. I, I do I do enjoy being in my own head and I, it may sound kind of selfish but I think the more you can understand yourself, the better. Yes. And the more you can, yeah. you can, yeah, it's such a cliche, but love parts of yourself and not just like yeah. maybe your self-image, just like what, what isn't an image, you know, what, what is b- behind the image. So to finish off with a couple of sort of takeaways, Adam, I'd like you to pick two numbers. So the first number, choose a number between zero and a hundred. Okay. Can you tell us the number? 67. Okay, thank you. And the other number is between 1 and 23. Okay, 19. So think of your 19-year-old self. What advice would your 19-year-old self give you now? Oh, I'd wish I, I wish I picked a, 
I wish I picked a younger age, but actually, no, I don't wish I picked a younger age because I guess 19 was, I was diagnosed with type 1 diabetes at age 20. So that was a big change in my life. So 19 was before that. What, what advice would I give myself? As well as to sort of, you know, keep being yourself. I think more empathetic and more thoughtful. I don't think I necessarily wasn't either of those two things. I just think I've come on in the last few years or developed for the better. Uh, yeah, be more empathetic, be more thoughtful and caring and understanding with regards to, I guess, the diabetes. It, you know, it will be okay in the end. It was obviously quite a shock. I'd say in regards to my, you know, my professional life, my working life, also it will be okay in the end. I've been through a redundancy process um, in the last few years and, and got out the other side. And I haven't actually talked about it with you two in, in the last hour or so. But yeah, that was uh, one of the darkest times of my life, I think. So it will all be okay in the end, I'll say. And a piece of advice from you now to who you think you'll be age 67. That's tricky. That's tricky. Or maybe one piece of now to keep with you, one piece of who you are now, age 23. Try and look after yourself, as well as obviously people around you. I'm a big believer in if you try and look after yourself, you'll naturally help other people, really. Like, I don't think it's selfish to look after yourself because I think... If you're not happy yourself, you're not going to be in a place to, to look after and understand and care about other people as much. Yeah, yeah we talk about that analogy, don't we, about putting... Uh, it's like being on an aeroplane and it's going down. You have to put your mask on first before you help others. Otherwise, you're, you know, you're no use to anyone else, really. Yeah, it just comes I like that a lot. Yeah. yeah, it's a really good analogy. And checking that it's on, not just thinking that you've quickly put it on and then helping <laughs> yeah. others, but make sure it's really on yeah. <laughs> so you get your oxygen. Yeah, I like that. Yeah, thank you so much for sharing everything you have with us. Yes, thank you, Adam. It's been so nice to have such a, a, I don't know, profound and insightful chat, a bit different to normal. Oh, that's all right. I've really enjoyed it. Really nice to get to know you in a different way. So thank you for being here. Yeah, it's good to get to know you better, Adam. Thank you for having me on. And it's been, um, been a lovely conversation. Thank you. Thank you very much. So Adam, where can people get in touch and follow you online? So I'm really into Instagram. I'm at Adam Lawrence on there. Lawrence with an A in the middle, not an E. So it's a bit of a, bit of a weird spelling, something Katie and I are used to. <laughs> used to telling many people a year and also i've recently started an instagram page for blogging about type 1 diabetes and uh, there's a big diabetes community online so i'm trying to be part of that really and raise awareness and spread love and positivity in the type 1 community so on instagram if you want to follow my diabetes themed account i guess it's type one adam um, and then i'm also on twitter as well i like the good tweets so i'm at adam on the radio on twitter and we'll leave all links uh, in the show notes below along with ours so you can find us at chrysalis connection on instagram and if you feel like sending us an email for a longer message it's chrysalisconnection.podcast at gmail.com To those of you listening at home, thank you for joining us this far in the podcast. We love that you're here. Please rate, share and subscribe to see this podcast grow. And if you feel like leaving a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, we'd really appreciate it. It helps get episodes like these out to more ears. We'll also be doing a bonus Q&A episode, so get in touch to ask us anything.
A big thank you to David Greenwood for creating our original music and a massive thank you to Adam Lawrence for his appearance on today's show and also for editing that he does. <laughs>